1: Hello and welcome to the 602 Club, Track FM's local watering hole. So excited to be here. Everybody is mostly healthy again. Gotta love the new year colds and whatnot, but we're so excited to be back um, as we're getting back to Thraw with The Dark Crystal, the original movie here um, by Jim Henson and uh, Frank Oz. And so, uh, Christy, it's Good to have you back.
0: Thank you. It's good to be back, and uh, I'm excited to be coming into now talking about the thing that started it all—the movie, *The Dark Crystal*. After the prequel mm-hmm. being my first experience with this. so yeah,
1: yeah, I'm I'm really interested to to see what that process was like going from the prequel to this um, and uh, back with us to, to help finish out this series is the one and only Nick
2: Anastasio back with my voice it's always a plus happy to, ha- to have it with me tonight
1: <laughs> you know it's the one thing for podcasting that's kind of a must right
2: <laughs> kind of a must yes I mean you know we were just discussing this off mic I could have done it last week but I don't know if your listeners would have really liked what they heard <laughs>
1: You're not ready for podcasting.
2: <laughs> yeah, it would have been a, a mix between that and sort of a of a Palpatine zombie. Like,
0: uh, <laughs> oh, everyone's I, dying Palpatine. to hear that <laughs> zombie.
2: <laughs> I have returned to talk about the dark. You crystal. could be a Skeksis. Is that this? kind of what the Palpatine is
1: in the? Uh, you know, the Rise of Skywalker is a
2: Palpatine zombie. Yeah, that's basically it. That's the Scooby-Doo version of Palpatine. Or anytime know. we yeah.
0: need you to voice the dying emperor Skexis, we can get you back for that.
2: Yeah, yeah, that <laughs> that's a good one. Yeah, I could have I could have definitely done that. I could have done the whole show and character. <laughs> From his deathbed, the Emperor himself. (laughs)
1: Oh, that would have been awesome. Oh, man. Well, it's going to be a very fun show. We want to say thank you for joining us here uh, at the beginning of 2020. And um, just, of course, quick reminder, find us wherever your podcasts. Make sure you're subscribed. You'll get the episode as soon as it drops. Also, um, big deal there is that not only do you want to be subscribed, but, you know, wherever you are, uh, hit us up with a star rating review, especially on Apple Podcasts. Uh, help the show grow help people find it you know this show this year will turn six so that's crazy but we could always still use your help in growing the show so again a star rating review really does that over on there on apple podcasts and anytime we get a review there we would read down the show Uh, You can find us on Twitter at Trek FM are on Facebook at facebook.com slash trek.fm. We've got the listeners only discussion group on Facebook called the Babel Conference over on, uh, as I mentioned, Facebook, where you can talk to listeners from all over the world. Uh, You can find us uh, over on trek.fm, which is our website. We can see everything that we're doing podcast wise. Plus, if you go to the contact section, you can talk to Christy and I in an email form um, maybe you've got some ideas for the show maybe you have ideas about what we've talked about um, so go there and send us an email and uh, then christine and i can read it you know you never know you may inspire an entire episode and then last but not least i really want to say a huge thank you to our associate producers here through patreon you know This network is going going through uh, a lot. There's so much happening in the Star Trek world. We're growing by leaps and bounds, and that means we need your help. Um, so if you love what we do, um, go to patreon.com slash trekfm and see how you can be part of our team. We've got some great associate producers over there through Patreon, Ken Tripp, Davis Grayson, Wyatt Millette, and Daniel Noah. They've been supporting the show and the network for a long time. And again, they, they know what we need, which is your support, because without it, we can't run this network. Um, so again, go to patreon.com slash trek.fm and see how you can help us out. Honestly, really, truly, every little bit helps a month. Again, that's patreon.com slash trek.fm. So Christy, I alluded this at the beginning, and I didn't put this on the outline, but I kind of wanted to start here, because you have such unique experience. Um, From most people I I think which is that you watched the show and then you watched the movie And so I just I wanted to to see what your experience was like then, you know coming into this when you'd already seen The television show on Netflix
0: So I am really glad that you guys kind of prepared me for it being a little smaller world in the movie than it is in the TV show um, because, I mean, the way that they do the Netflix series, it is much more just visually expansive, um, and covers a lot more different parts of Thra than the movie does, but that doesn't hurt the movie. It's just different. Um, so I, I think that was a big difference I noticed. And then, um, I do feel like the show explained things a little bit better, um, and with the movie, I felt like you're thrown right into everything and then you're, you know, hit with one big thing after another happening that you don't really have that time to stop and explain, okay, this planet is Thra, And this is everything that Mother Agra did for it and everything like that. You know, I feel like it's more of a quick overview.
1: Yeah, yeah. I think... um in many ways, uh, you know, this, I, you know, it, obviously Star Wars had just come out a, couple, uh, a few years before this, um, and so, you know, that's kind of what I compare it to, because, you know, this is really, this is an origin story of this, this world, mm. um, and, but there isn't ever a sequel to it, so it's not like we ever get, you know, the Skeksis strike back, <laughs> uh, and so, um... It is really interesting that they have to try and put everything that you need to know in an hour and a half. And so um, it's interesting, you know, like you said, you you get to come in and you already understand a lot of what's going on without even have to listening to the narration at the beginning, which um, is only like now we know like that's like a third of the story. (laughs) (laughs)
0: <laughs> right. like, I, And even with the narration, I feel like they just didn't fully explain, you know, really what the whole thing with the essence, for example, I feel like the movie doesn't explain as much about how the Skeksis are getting the essence and what they use it for and everything. They just show that they take it. But yeah, I I think that both were incredible. And I feel like now looking back, how bad I must feel for, you know, all the people that saw the movie and then never got the sequel. So somebody make a sequel. <laughs>
1: Yeah. Yeah. That would be really interesting.
2: Yeah. I mean, the, the, the cool thing is it's really interesting structurally because I think the show works in every way, structurally the way that a sequel works, which is that it expands on the world. It elevates the world. It does what a sequel should do when it works well, which is to improve on the original, mm-hmm. um, Furthers tells you more, but not just linearly, it actually makes it deeper. All of these things, which are usually principles of a movement that goes forward, except that it's a story that takes place before, and that's very interesting structurally. I'm not sure how um how aware Leterrier was when he when he did that um and how much of it is a byproduct of how it worked out. Um, it was actually small Francis. It was really cool when I found out that he had done it because he, I met him uh, in, in the process of uh, post-production on one of his films and hung out with him a, a few times. A, a a friend of a mutual friend of ours connected us just on the fact that we were both French. Um, and he's a really cool guy and he has a passion for animation. So it's really awesome to see, to see him do this. And, but I, I, you know, if you compare this to Star Wars, for example, you talked, Matt, about Star Wars, and, and um, it definitely has, and I think we talked about that when we talked about the show, there are par- parallels between this, the movie, and the original trilogy, and the show, and the prequel trilogy, to me, in how each of them showed initially a, uh, a, a canvas that is more naive in a good way of a world that is divided more simply and more clearly in black and white, good and evil versus a more sophisticated, more mature presentation of the same world, the same universe, but where you are now showed that there's always more to it than what you see at first. But whereas, and both of them are, are, you know, a story that goes back but i still feel i do agree with 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 george's presentation that once these six chapters are written you should experience them they're meant to be experienced from 1 to 6 even though it started out showing this world and then went back and and showed how much more complex it was i think that in the end you are you do get in my opinion the best arc um in terms of of presenting those ideas if you watch if you watch it from from one through six whereas in the case of dark crystal i do think that um it's actually best to experience it to understand all these concepts in the way that christy experienced it i do think that if you if you um no, I mean, I mean, sorry, the other way around to actually experience the, 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 the sort of that capsule, that's more naive capsule and then to, to actually go back and see after the fact how much more complex it is because and I, I could be biased by the fact that this is how I experienced it, but I, this is also how I experienced the six stars movies. And it didn't really, it didn't change my opinion. And in that case, but in the case of dark crystal, I feel like it works best for me having rewatched, you know, both because that then applies to the principle of like, there's a way to look at things which works and see, you know, the world and life and a story as the simple concepts, the naive concepts of black and white. And there are lessons to be drawn from that, but then almost like in the way that we grow up from children to adults, it's worth revisiting the same story, the same narrative as an adult and understanding more. It's kind of like the way you, you, you look at your parents when you're a child and you see a very black and white, cut and dry, good or bad picture of them. And when you revisit them as an adult yourself, you start to realize all these other nuances and layers you never really picked up on before. It doesn't necessarily mean that what you saw as a kid was a, a lie but you see other layers in between and seeing seeing you know the 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 dark crystal first and then being presented with but really this is what was going on at all these other strata i think is the best way for me reminiscing over all of it it felt like this is kind of if i was showing it to someone who hadn't seen it, I would do it that way. I would, I would show them the movie first and then go back as opposed to show them linearly. So how
1: did you feel, Christy, then since you had the opposite experience?
0: Well, I will say too, I think that I, I definitely agree with Nick and that even it's not necessarily fair to the movie to watch the, the TV show and then go back and watch the movie because of the technology now that we're able to use that wasn't available in 82 at that time there were so many things about the Dark Crystal that were groundbreaking like in particular with the puppeteering and the animatronic pieces of it that now you know seem more primitive and that we've advanced further and can do more with them than we could then Um so in that sense I think that yeah you should definitely watch the movie and then go back and watch the show Um, because it just expands on what was already there. And, and then you can appreciate the fact that what they were doing in 82 was such a big deal at the time. Um, I, I feel like I still thoroughly enjoyed the movie and see why everybody loved it so much. I mean, I I think it goes back to the storytelling aspect being the most important thing. Like we were all talking about with the series, um, it really has to stem from classic mythological storytelling devices that transcend movie to like being present in all of these other films and TV shows and books that we like that are fantasy like Star Wars, like Lord of the Rings, like Willow, you know, all of these things have that in common and have that huge larger than life storytelling that makes people love them so much. So I think that that's what really made me enjoy both equally.
1: Yeah, that's really cool, um, Christy. You you had uh, put something just really interesting on the outline. that I thought was, you know, this is, you know, we look back at the, like the what the genesis of this movie is. I think it is really interesting because again, it, it's coming out at a kind of a fascinating time. Um, obviously, again, we. I mentioned, you know, with, with Star Wars having come out and, you know, this is another uh, movie in which we're, you know, getting a whole new world given to us. And, you know, this is also a very interesting movie uh, in the same way Star Wars is, you know, Star Wars at least has, you know, live action people, right? <laughs> you know, it's real people. This has no real people. It's, it's all puppets, you know, so this is a huge uh, risk. Um, it's interesting that Gary Kurtz, who helped get Star Wars made, is also pivotal in getting this made, which I thought was fascinating. Um, but one of the things that I was I was doing a little bit reading reading um, and kind of seeing where the genesis of this comes from is the fact that uh, F- Frank Oz said that Henson really wanted to get back to the darkness of the original Grimm's fairy tales because he believed it was unhealthy for children to never be afraid. Mm-hmm. And that kind of blew me away because that's literally something that nobody would say nowadays. Like, we do everything we can to keep kids from being afraid. And I just, I think maybe that's, maybe that's why I respond to these type of filmmakers' filmmaking. um, Is because they're really doing something that, you know, speaks to the wholeness of reality. Which is, you know, there are really scary things that we have to deal with and have to overcome. And these movies, in many ways, you know, help us see ways in which that we want to overcome. And I just thought that was fascinating.
2: Yeah, that is a very interesting uh, concept. Um, I'm glad to hear that because I think this is something that I – respond to a lot and in, in n- not knowing that uh, about Dark Crystal, it doesn't surprise me that I responded to it the way that I did then. And actually it speaks again, whether Louis was was aware of that or not, um, of what was um, I think fantastic. And I responded to in the show uh, there is definitely that. And, and to me, it felt that's the thing is it, it never felt like it was gratuitous either in the way that it was handled in the movie or in the show. I never felt like it was dark for the sake of being dark or just trying to go for some sort of uh, shock value scare for, for kids or, or anybody. Um, I remember watching the first couple of episodes of the, of the series and starting to recommend it to a, a friend of mine who has kids. And then I backed off I immediately was like, Oh, you know, I don't think that, I don't think they're ready at all for that. But, but I do think that there is a value to it for, you know, after past a certain age and, and even in the movie, you know, the movie is certainly, I think, Again, more naive and more fairy tale, but it's not a movie that I I think, and it it directly applies to what you're talking about with the, the, you know, the, the, you know, the brothers, you know, the Grimm's fairy tales and, and others, you know, honestly, most fairy tales, bedtime stories dating back to the middle ages. There is a value. You have to pick when the right time, when the right age is, but there is a value in presenting them to children because it's not about being vicious, being sadistic with kids. It's about these tales at the time in a very, very dangerous world where there was little in in terms of books um, and other media because a lot of people didn't have access to books, didn't know how to read, couldn't afford books. Um, most of it was oral history and, and you needed, you needed uh, a medium to help educate children and help them understand sophisticated ideas through vocabulary that they could get of the risks and the moral values of good and, and evil. And these stories with really serious um, actions and really serious repercussions and consequences really helped achieve that.
0: Absolutely. I think that it's exactly everything that you said, Nick, and even further, you know, expanding on that, that it encourages parents to talk to their kids about these kind of things after they watch it. Um, that, just like you said, Nick, I feel like it doesn't go too far. Um, it, not like the Grimm's Fairy Tales version of Cinderella I heard about where the feet get cut off to fit the shoe. <laughs> that would be a little much, but I think that this has just the healthy amount of fear possibly for young kids to teach them about what's right and wrong and that there are people that are going to try and take advantage of your gifts, you know, sort of like the Skexies were taking advantage of the Gelfling and the Podlings. Um, and so it, I think that it raises important conversations. I think that parents probably need to decide before their kids watch it how old they need to be before they watch it. Um, but I mean, I, I think we said last time we thought that eight and up would be reasonable.
1: I think, you know, when you look at this creation, you know, it it definitely is in line with so many of the things that we got, um, in that time period, you know, that when I think of all the eighties movies that were quote unquote for kids, you know, so many parents today would never show their kids those Mm -hmm. movies, you know? Um, but I do think that, there has been um an over coddling of kids when it comes to um the reality of the world and 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 this kind of storytelling I think really it does a great job of preparing, you know, you for the world. In fact this is a very strange example, but my wife was uh I, I came home last night um from from uh uh I was watching the the football game uh, at some friend's house and go 49ers but um anyway so we I get home and my wife is watching um Anne of Green Gables the um the 1980s uh version that was on PB B, PBC PBS all those years ago and I grew up with um, And I was just marveling at, you know, this story about Anne and that by the time the the first the first um, series is over, she's 16 years old and has already earned a degree to be a teacher. And I was thinking to myself, like, I wonder if that he, watching stories like that about people who are younger, but but already adulting, you know, as the the kids like to call it now. Um, had an impact on my life into what I think the world is like, you know. Um, and and we just again, this is one of those places I think Dark Crystal is a place where we just get that type of story because this is, I mean, in the end, um, it's a story uh, about Jen, uh, who you know is our our main character. He's our chosen one, quote unquote, who's sent on a mission uh, by the mystics to reunite the crystal. Uh, the lost shard of the crystal with the dark crystal. And, you know, I think that to me, it's like those type of coming of age stories are the things that, like, as a kid, I know it just helped me grow up, you know, knowing that growing up was not going to be easy. Becoming an adult was not going to be easy. Um, But I think that's one of the things I love about, like, the chosen one type stories is that, they are so much of, you know, Nick, you and I have talked about so many times in reference to Star Wars, you know, it's it's the hero of a thousand faces and it's it's about the hero's journey um, and those heroes journeys are about, you know, normal everyday people doing extraordinary things because they're placed you know uh in, in the fire and i just to me um that's the thing that makes these type of stories work and i think it makes the dark crystal story work with Jin.
2: yeah i mean I, I think uh no doubt I, I think that it's uh it's a story christy you mentioned lord of the rings you know just to finish up on this aspect that i think that yeah, i am just gonna sound me like one of those you know cranky old grandpas get off my lawn but i think Kids tend to be coddled a little too much in our society there's a just middle you know i'm not i 'm not suggesting that we should strip our kids you know naked and throw them in the woods you know when they, when they hit a certain age for two weeks and see if they can make it. but I think that there is a value there's a value to to teaching children the world can be a scary place. there are monsters there is a way to do it you obviously don 't want to terrorize your children and have them without the, the thing that the things that are unhealthy in my opinion for kids is unanswered questions when they don't understand when you when you can't provide an explanation even a simple one even even one which is in a way there is no explanation but if you let them make up their own answers that's the danger but as long as you can explain to children an order that you know, they can cope and and the sooner they can cope with a problem with a situation where the reality the more they can make sense of it in a way that's not going to traumatize them, that they're not going to be afraid of facing if, and when they come in front of it themselves at, a, you know, during their childhood or as an adult, whereas the opposite trying to constantly, constantly shove them aside and, and not let them see in any way, shape or form doesn't help them get equipped to face that. And, the A movie like Dark Crystal did that back then you know i don't consider myself having been particularly either sheltered or ignored or exposed to to really inappropriate material when I was a kid, but those were types of stories you know my parents were there they provided me with with counseling they would talked to me you know they they weren't they were definitely in my life, but I also drew a lot of 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 intuitive moral learning from the films and books and TV shows that I watched when I was a kid. And I always said 82 was, was is the my seminal movie, you know, the year. It, it was the year that I really felt like everything crystallized for me. I was 11 years old, and The Dark Crystal was one of those movies. And the combination of these very sophisticated concepts with some of this very simple, naive storytelling, the hero's journey, and the visuals, the puppets, which is something which kids... It, it opens the door. It's something you, it, it immediately, it's one of those things. It's a very good framing device. You can talk about things that are very, very big, very important, very serious, potentially even scary. But when you do it with puppets, that's exactly what you need to do for a kid. You're telling the kid, listen, I'm teaching you a lesson, but don't be scared. It's not real. It's just puppets. And it's just enough removal. This, this is the same way I presented my kid with Lord of the Rings when I first showed him the movies. He was young. He was seven years old. But I told him there's some really big ideas. There's some, even some scary ideas in there. But the thing that you need to remember, and you'll see that very clearly in the way the bad guys look, is that none of it is real. It's just the concept of it is real. And that's what you need to think about. The scenes themselves, they're not real. And I think, you know, the Gelfling's, the Skeksis, the Mystics, they're very archetypal, um, very strong visuals, very strong framing devices. But the, the, the overall execution is also a great framing device for that. At the same time as you have, and I think that's even more important or more uh, relevant to talk about for the film than the series, is this revelation at the end that the Mystics and the Skeksis are one species. That, I think, I remember at the time, blew my mind because that is something where i think that story goes further than tolkien did or even than george did in star wars you have you have a very classic very archetypal um division between light and dark in those types of stories and for good reasons and reasons that work and are valid but i really like i remember when it got to that point and that was a serious twist, especially for a kids' movie, a very sophisticated one. When you're shown, you're told these are the same people. These are this is this is one one being that got divided. It, there's the implications of that it got me thinking throughout my childhood, I would come back every now and then if I saw an image of the movie or if I rewatched the movie or thought about it and I would come back. And that was one of those things that stuck with me, just like the reversal in Planet of the apes of, you know, the apes being the abusers and man being, being the, the, the creature, the animal that's, that's taken advantage of. It makes you think as a kid and in, In dark crystal it really just stuck with me and i i thought that i thought then and now that that's really one of the boldest things that they could have done and did with the story
0: right like showing that every human being on the planet has these two sides to them maybe
2: exactly exactly yeah i mean you know there is a a much more hard line separation in these other universes between good and evil and while the concepts of corruption are talked about, while there are implications of Star Wars, but even in Lord of the Rings, of the fact that, you know, there are parts of good and evil in all of us and we can we can we can even move across that spectrum, it's still not done the way that it's done in this movie, like you said, Christy, where it really sets up the stage to say, listen you it's the skexies are the mystics and the mystics are the skexies. there is no difference and in fact the key to solving the whole thing is for both halves to remember recognize and accept that that they are actually no different one from the other
1: yeah i love you know the whole idea that that the two are one and that um what has has been and and this was what was so fascinating because we talked about this last time, but I mean, it, I think it comes into play even more so here that really, um, you know, at least it's the way that it's presented. But, you know, there really was this perfection here on Thraw before this convergence happens, before, um, you know, the crystal is cracked and before the, the Skeksis are split you know and, and you know that um before before they become skexies and and mystics and um and that that leads to obviously this this um this fracturing of this perfect creation and you know uh, again it kind of plays out this garden narrative that we even see by this point you know the, the what once near the castle was beautiful and gorgeous, you know, was green and had a river rushing is now dry and barren. Like they have just sucked the, the marrow (laughs) out of Thra with their evil. And, and yet, you know, what has happened is, is that there is a part of them that is missing, you know, like there's this other half of them that is missing. And that what needs to have happened is, you know, Truth needs to be restored, and the truth of it is, like you were saying, Nick, is that they are one, not two, and and so um, I just I really I, I, you know piggybacking off those things from last week, I think um, you know th- this idea of the two being one is is really really beautiful, and that they, these two races um, have in some ways, you know, they are kind of responsible for where the planet has gone because, you know, the mystics aren't... don't have the will or whatever to be able to, to do what needs to be done um, to to bring things back. You know, they just kind of hold the line, I guess. Um, and the Skeptics don't care because we've seen them just destroy this planet and and, like take everything they can out of it. Um, and so I just thought, th- I to me, that's one of the strongest parts of this. Um, and I really, really appreciated that. Um, obviously, th- the movie takes that to its ultimate conclusion to where, you know, we have them reunited. And what was, you know, is called the Crystal Palace, we actually find out is actually Crystal Palace, that the Skeksis had, like, legitimately um, put stonework over, I guess, to maybe not be reminded that they're not, this is not truly the way things are meant to be. They've, they've not only like corrupted the crystal, but they've corrupted the, the, the castle around it by making it, you know, just ugly and gross and like a reflection of who they are. Um, which I think is again, like visually, it's just so great.
0: Yeah. I, I'm glad you said that too, Matt. Cause it, it does remind me of like the visual storytelling aspect of the movie as well is huge because it's showing you exactly the points that they're trying to make that the Skeksis only care about themselves and don't care that they've corrupted the crystal and themselves and don't care that for the crystal palace to look the way that it should anymore. They want to cover it up and they don't care that they've sucked dry everything around them on this planet, because all that matters is that they live forever and they rule everything. So I, I like that then toward the end, when everything is cleaned up again, you can see what Thra looked like before their corruption took over. And that the Gelfling and Agra are about life and everyone being in symbiosis with each other.
2: Yeah, I think it... um I think all of these these um, visuals, to me, it it, rem- it it reminded me. It's kind of like what we hear Yoda say in Episode One. You know, f- basically fear, fear being at the root of of everything bad that happens in in you know the domino chain of events that follows from fear Fear, and you know, I think if we go back to that idea of the the this, this, this splintering, which is represented in the crystal itself, I think. The idea for me is that it almost goes back to these, these old creation myths of, of there being one being initially, and when that being splintered into two, and that's man and woman, male, female, everything, everything in, in the world splintered into two, and that the unfolding of the universe is just the endless quest of these two halves to try to come back and be whole again. And, and in the, in the splintering of the two of the mystics and the Skeksis, the Skeksis to me represent fear. They are, they, the, the mystics are, are desperate to be whole again, even though, and this is where the lesson that they have to teach is, even though you could, you, you, this is nothing that I really remember thinking about as a kid because they appear. And I think at the time I already had the the, the frame of mind of Yoda. And when I saw them, I immediately was, compared them without trying to, to Yoda. And I was like, Oh, so they are wise and they're magical beings and they have power and they're good. And I was thinking, well, what, why would they want to be back with the Skeksis? Why would they want to reunite and become one again? They, they have all the good parts. And, you know, it took time. This is why I said, you know, this story stuck with me through, through all the years that I grew up because to understand that, A, it's not about good and bad. They understand that no matter whether they inherited the good, the, all the good part, they are still only half of one whole and they, they will never be, ne- their universe will not be set right. Nothing will be right as long as they don't accept that they should take back the other half, even if it's bad. And and I think that then there's also more, which is that they they represent yes, good things. But there's good that can be given from what the Skeksis have to offer. Like a lot of evil, bad characters, you know, a lot of times they're more inventive, they're more bold, they're more. It's a concept of the Slytherin, you know, the Slytherin are 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 have a lot of good qualities to offer in the Harry Potter world. But the Skeksis are afraid. The Skeksis run away from returning to this this wholesomeness because they're terrified of losing their identity as Skeksis. They're terrified of, of that's, that's an idea of death, of losing themselves. And so from that fear comes everything that they do, which is bad and ugly and causes the world to decay and become worse and worse and worse. And, and I mean...
1: Just kind of love at the end. I I wish that what was playing was just, you know, reunited and it feels so good. (laughs) So I mean, I just feel like that that should be what was playing in that scene because just really, really bring home, you know what I'm saying?
2: Yep. (laughs) There we go. And (laughs) you going back to your old trick FM roots of here's Matt Rushing singing on the podcast. Yeah,
1: well, you know, (laughs) it just seemed to fit. Um
2: I, so I wanted to ask you guys,
1: because now that we have the show and we have the movie, you know, what w- was interesting kind of the way that the Thraw history works together, because the way the movie presents it is that, you know, a thousand years ago, there was this convergence. The three sons come together, um, and that's when the crystal is cracked and two races, the Skeksis and the Mystics show up. But... You know the show adds this idea of you know that uh Thra is kind of this perfect place you know the crystal is protected by Agra and her close connection with the Gelfling and um Thra is kind of in perfect harmony uh until the arrival of this new being this the Skeksis, who are not of Thra and you know of course as we talked about all last week you know they uh they trick Agra and you know um and then they just abuse the crystal. So I wanted to ask you guys about how you kind of uh, dealt with. I don't I don't know if if it's inconsistency between the two or if it's just like maybe we're we're still waiting for something to be filled in.
0: So I do see what you're saying, Matt, and felt like there was kind of that inconsistency in particular with the Mother Agra part of the story, because I feel like in the movie that they're insinuating that the Skeksis just showed up and took it from her, even though they don't particularly say that it it does kind of feel that way to me, whereas in the show, it was explicitly said that they came and then she willingly gave it to them to look after while she went to explore all the things that they told her about. So it the show does put a completely new perspective on mother Agra, making you feel like she failed Thra rather than it was taken from her. Um, but I, I don't know. I kind of just in my mind reconciled it as, um, knowing what the show told me to me, that being the true version of her story.
2: Yeah. That's, I mean, this is pretty much the same way I saw it too. Um, I, it felt to me like there's always with these types of stories. And when you go back, there's a way that you can kind of have a very purist for lack of a better term, um, look and say, well, it's not exactly, or it's not at all. Um, in line with what was said. But usually these stories are pretty good about not actually outright contradicting what was said. Mm -hmm. Um, It's sort of, it it bends, if you're going to be objective, it bends the rules of the story that was told before in order to tell the story that it wants to tell. But it does so in a way that's not, it's not cheating even. It's certainly not contradicting and I wouldn't even qualify as cheating. I, I would say it's just, like Christy said, for me, it's more about saying, well, so you heard the Cliff Notes version, and this is the history book version. <laughs> this is what really happened. Um, and it doesn't mean that the other one was false. It just means that the other one was a very summarized, very simplified and, and in the end, again, you can say that's not, it's not false because it's true that once she realized what had happened, she acknowledges her mistakes, she goes back, she faces the skexy, she says, listen, I'm willing to consider that it was a misunderstanding, I screwed up, now if you don't mind, let's go back, give me the crystal, and we can all call it quits. And at that point, they go, uh, no, we're going to keep it. Thank you very much. And so in that sense, what the movie, this is where I think you get to the point of what the movie tells you, which is that when they had the chance to do the right thing, they, they stole it. They kept it for themselves.
1: Yeah. It kind of reminds me, um, John Mills likes to put it like this, you know, uh, in the empire strikes back when Obi-Wan shows up to Luke, you know, when he's in the snowstorm, kind of dying and he's like, you know, you are going to go train on Dagobah with Yoda, the Jedi master who trained me. It, he doesn't sit there and tell him, well, actually it was really Qui Gon and and you know, like it, there's no time for that story. You and it's not important, you know, like that, that that's not something that Luke needs to know at that at that moment. So, you know, Exactly And, exactly, and yeah. that same thing I feel like this, you know, where the prequels do for the Star Wars, this uh, the prequel show for this did as well, which is that it expanded on the larger history that there are is always more to the story when you go back, you know, and you read about things, you know, there's a, there's a big difference between reading the overview history book and then going through and reading, you know, the specific history of, you know, said event. Uh, and there, there's so much more detail. There's, there's so much more nuance to it. And I feel like that's kind of what it does for me. and, You know, on top of that, you know, one of the things that this does in light of the show now is we have a world changed. You know, I mean, Thra is a much different place than the one that we saw in the show. Like, it
0: has gotten so much worse for this planet. Absolutely. I mean, you see basically everything has been desecrated. At this point, um, as it should be. I mean, they're trying to show that how far Thra has fallen from being this lush, beautiful, foresty place with all of these different creatures to now that that's much more rare to find. Um, and that especially around the palace that even there's like no water left. It's like constant lightning and darkness. And I love that whole visual representation, too, of the dark and the light that the the palace is surrounded in darkness all of the time.
2: Yeah, I think uh, again that that's to me that's a representation of the skexies and in, in how um you know, it's the it's the the whole idea of you you make the wrong choice uh, because you're afraid you, you tell a lie because you're afraid that if you tell your parents I didn't do my homework they're going to scold you. And then the following day you then have to make a lie to the teacher and you lie to them about saying that you didn't do your homework because your parents took you on a trip. And then, and then it, it snowballs. And each time that you don't face the consequence, you have to do something worse in order to maintain and you have to stay the course because it becomes harder. The consequence is increasing. It becomes harder to back down to reverse course. And so you have to go through an even worse thing, which eventually causes a, you know, catastrophic, um, cascade of, of bad things happening at every level. Right. And so I think it's, it it really sets up, it's, it's, it's the perfect kind of archetypal way of showing how, um, that fear of the Skeksis, this fear of death, this fear of losing themselves, this fear of, of, uh, not staying as Kexis. This is really, I think what their immortality is, is just that sense of identity of being what they are leads them one choice after another, after another of like not being able to, to do anything, but stay the course at the cost ultimately of the entire world.
1: Well, and I mean, one of the biggest ramifications we see in that is that there are only two Gelfling left in the world. Like they've eradicated all of them because of this prophecy that, you know, the, the Gelfling will be the ones who undo everything. And so, you know, I thought it was interesting, you know, we kind of have, uh, Jen and Kira almost being like this, you know, Adam and Eve that, that will help remake this world. And so their story together, obviously, you know, it, it's a love story, um, but it's, it's two people who have also lived through the trauma of what the Skeksis have done to this world. And even though they are angry with the, the Skeksis uh, and, and, you know, dislike them fervently, um, they are still willing to put their own lives on the line to remake this world. And I think th- there's a real beauty to that, that heroism of like I know what must be done, it could cost me my life. Obviously, for Kira, it does. Until the Erskeses bring her back, um, and I just I I appreciated that part of their story, and um, I would say. I wish that the movie was maybe slightly longer almost just so that we could spend a little bit more time developing that side of the story. Um, but I, I think, you know, thematically and everything, the, what those two represent to this world, it works really well.
2: Yeah. I mean, I think you see, you see in that objectively, the limitations of the budget and the means they had um, that sort of, narrows down the scope of the film <clears throat> including coming up with within the story devices so that they can say there are only two gelflings there are only two there are only 10 skeksis left uh there are only 10 mystics um, but it's one of those cases where constraint actually thrusts creativity and improves it uh, because it, it really provides, again, kind of the, the the basis, the foundation for a really interesting concept. Um, and I remember as a child watching it, and and it really hit home the the fact that when you get to a world where you say there are only two of these beings, there are only ten of these other beings, you're really saying, okay, this is a world at the end of its rope. This is a world where this this is what you get to when you've exhausted. All the resources, and back then, it's something that I already kind of um, really hit home with me, and that I think is even more relevant today. Um, saying, "Hey, you know, if you just if you just go with the idea of abundance because it's there today, you're setting setting yourself up for a day where you're not you're only going to have one of this thing left, and then you're not going to have anything left." and no ability to reproduce any of it. Um, and I think that, that that, that's a very powerful message. Another one, which is we talked earlier about some of the, some of the big ideas that this movie delivers really effectively through the means of these kind of these very accessible um, devices for children. Um, it talks about the idea of genocide without ever mentioning it. Mm, true. Um, and, and you can imagine certain conversations, depending on the family, the kids, where it is a way to approach, especially at, 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 a, at a time when you have a lot of kids whose parents are going to be parents who lived through World War II and who are very close in Western society of what, of what murder on that, on that scale was, you have the means to have that conversation in a way that a kid can can understand because otherwise which what kid is going to understand the concept of of concentration camps or genocide um and and i thought i thought that that was another very powerful uh way to set that up
0: that's true i didn't think about it from that perspective either so i'm glad that you mentioned that nick um in particular about teaching kids about that aspect i think it it also really is a big thing, like probably the biggest thing that you notice if you're coming from my perspective of watching the TV show and then watching the movie is the sheer number of Gelfling that you see in the show versus now there being literally only two. Um, that is something noticeable right off the bat. So I think that they did that excellently to be able to portray that, it, that the world really is like you said nick at the end of its rope and everything is an emergency um and then that sort of like you said matt that the two of them are going to have to repopulate the planet
1: yeah i mean you know it because it's interesting the the ursexes give them the the mandate you know remake this world with the the reforged crystal of truth you know and, uh, you know, I think that's, that's excellent, you know, and again, it, it, it's, it's so archetypal, uh, and, and its theme that it, it works really well, um, the other thing that I think works here too, you know, and, and again, this is a time when, yeah, Star Wars has come out, but still the general, um, audience isn't quite used to this, I don't think, as at this point in the 80s, which is a more symphonic score. And, you know, Trevor Jones creates this really beautiful theme um, that has, it's full of mystery and kind of like wonder and worry all at the same time. And I love that he rejected the, you know, like the 80s synth feel for that more classical feel, and it really does the movie a service because just like Star Wars, I think it kind of helps ground you in feeling comfortable with the music that you're getting so that you're more comfortable with what you're seeing, which is a movie that had no live-action people. It's all puppets, and I think the beauty of the music really helped in that sense.
2: Yeah, I totally agree and and you know we talked about Pendleton's score for the series last week last week, and I, I really I really really enjoyed it. I was just listening to it again a couple of days ago. I love that score as well. But I have to say it, it there's no doubt that that score is more sophisticated, much bigger, um more epic in a lot of ways just like the show like Christie very very aptly described is more expansive um but there is something that is truly magical about about the score for the original film, the main theme, and some of the there, there's a, a track I listen to all the time, which is which just almost puts me to sleep. And there, there's something about that music that is just, I mean, it's the 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 idea of a fairy tale world of you know the fairy tale the, the fairies in the garden, the idea of this kind of bedtime story. Um, very magical universe that that score as simple as it is compared to the one for the series for example captures i don't want to say better it's not a question of because of, they're so they're very different um but in in a more pure it, it not to no pun intended but it captures the essence of of that magic you know of the world um, just perfectly.
0: I, I definitely couldn't say it better. I, I will agree with you and add that I, I am glad that they didn't go with the more popular music of the time in the eighties and chose to go with something timeless, which is like the story you're trying to tell, making it all something that can be told over and over again. And it's things that people are constantly dealing with instead of something that's a you know passing fad i think that really something that stood out to me in particular with not just the score but just thinking about the sound of everything in the movie was the mystics first of all i think are my favorite characters of all of it and i think that it goes back to to what you were saying nick about the puppets making kids feel more secure and that it's not quite as scary because that's how the mystics make me feel. Like it's something that you've known forever, even though it's the first time you're seeing it. And I love the sound that they make when all of them are chanting together.
2: Yeah. The mystics are, are I love their, I love their voice. I love that, like sort of like that really deep bassy, you know, chorus they have. To me, the mystics. Yeah. Yeah. If I reach back to my kids' mind, and this is certainly not how I consciously thought of it then, but I really again if I if I if I juxtaposed the kid then and the adult today, and that's brilliant that's brilliant design at every level, whether they were aware of it themselves or there was their subconscious working, you know, that way, that is that is the archetype of the grandpa that you see from the perspective of like a six or seven year old, right? It's that towering figure with that mm-hmm. huge nose, right? That and it's sort of like hunched They're over very slow and that has this deep voice <laughs> that could be terrifying if you skewed it a certain way. But, but when, when that old person, that old grandfather projects the right aura, a kid instantly feels safe. You know, there's something, there's this kind of benevolent kindness that makes you feel like you just, it's okay for you to just kind of collapse at their feet or in their lap and just, you'll be okay because it's like an old tree, right? An old tree root that will just be there and hold you up no matter what. And, and you definitely have that completely captured in that design, I think.
1: What, you know, I'm really interested in it. It's been, I'm just uh, getting to revisit both of these has been really fun. Um, and so now that we've kind of talked through the original film here, the dark crystal, um, where are you guys with your ratings? Do you think
2: you, or do you mean like comparing one to the other or
1: no, 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 just, just, you know, with what you would rate, uh, this, this original film,
2: I mean, I, it hasn't changed, you know, for me, it's still, it's still as powerful as it was. Again, I know, I, I know all the ways that the the series expands on it, the way that a, a, a sequel, even though it's a prequel should, um, but that doesn't take away anything from, from the original. And just, I mean, the way that you talk about for any, any of the, the movies that have good sequels, um, you could not have, everything that that the series does could not exist if if those if the foundations weren't laid down by the movie and and that's why i said you know i i would still like if i was showing it to if i had a kid at had the right age today i would show them the movie first and then the series because i think it really works the the, the movie presenting the sort of the, the tip of the iceberg scenario really is what makes the series work, in my opinion. And and so the movie deserves huge credit for that. And, and yes, I know as an adult that a lot of the way it looks and sounds is the product of limitations um, by time, by budget. But still, um, you know, being lucky enough to remember seeing it when it first came out, um, in context with its peers, uh, it certainly was it, – it was – you know this came out the year that e t came out the year that Tron came out the year that um a ton of other movies you know Conan came out um and i and I remember um not feeling like this movie was any less powerful or effective or or, or executed on a scope that was lesser than any of these um so I, I you know I personally would give it um a three and three quarter Um, out of five stars and, and on a scale of one to 10, I would probably give it like a, oh, an eight and a half.
0: That's a pretty good rating. (laughs) I, uh, I have to say is being the, the newbie to this, I really feel like not having seen it as a kid, I was missing out and that I'm glad that I finally got around to it. Um, and in particular, really thrilled that the sequel series was made because it also reminded me of the amazing thing that is puppeteering and what all can be done with it, that it's not just, you know, um, the Muppets bouncing around that, it, you know, it can be these incredibly intricate pieces that take different teams of working on to make. And if you haven't watched the crystal calls documentary on Netflix, I highly recommend it. Um, just one Skexies, for example, had two people inside it at one time and they were wearing a full costume over their head with a monitor inside and a fan. So it, that alone blew me away. Um, so I just, I really wanted to give that a shout out, but it overall, I would say my rating of the movie is also going to be pretty high. I, I'd give it a four out of five um, because it really does make you think about all of these huge life lessons. I think that it has that childlike wonder about it, but also can be just as fun for adults to watch. So I would go back and watch it again. And I now want my niece and nephew to enjoy it who are eight and five.
1: Yeah. You know, it's really interesting. So probably about a year ago, I watched this movie and it, it was okay, you know, then, and then, you know, the series came out and I watched that. And so revisiting the movie, for you know this now, in light of the series, I I feel like the series made the sh- the movie better. Like it it may it just made it better, which is great. Like I love when you know you add to a universe, and you feel like then when you go back to what you've seen before, it, it actually it feels like a better thing, which is excellent. You know this alone, I think. Though um, when I think about you know what they're doing and everything, I think the. the there's only there there are some things that i would have you know i think i would change about this you know if if i could you know just critically i think that the exposition and and and, and scenes of those nature could be redone um you know to to help things flow better without it just being a a moment where you just have an exposition scene and um, it's funny that the show literally followed the movie in the sense of there are scenes that go on too long with the puppeteering, you know, like where we're just enjoying or supposed to be enjoying, I guess, the Skexies eating. And it's like, OK, I get it. They're <laughs> gross and disgusting. And I don't know if I need mm-hmm, to keep watching yep. this for like the next 45 yep. minutes. Uh, but but, uh, you know, again, I'm I'm right there with you, Nick. I think it, we, it would probably be, um, you know, 3.75 out of 5, like, you know, broken shards of the Dark Crystal, because it's, yeah, it's good. And and again, it, it got better in light of the fact that the series did such a good job of really expanding the world and making it um, an even more interesting story then, too. So, uh, yeah, uh, I'm super excited, though. Christy gave a recommendation, but I'm wondering what you guys would like to recommend to everybody here Uh what maybe something that they should watch this week, maybe something they've missed, and so I don't know. What about you, Nick?
2: Um, I started, uh, I'll stay, um, current. I started watching, uh, Messiah on on Netflix, and I did not anticipate something that I didn't anticipate liking it, but I I, I, I honestly went in kind of thinking, okay, kind of thinking that I had to show peg for, for what it, it was, and um. I'm only about halfway through, so it still has the opportunity, I guess, to disappoint me or to, or to sort of prove me right. But so far, actually, I've, I've been really pleasantly surprised and would recommend people watch it because so far, without spoiling any of it, what I find really interesting, at least, and actually, personally, kind of beautiful, is it. Um, it tackles... Or it seems to, again, I'm not done with it, so I, I can't be certain, but it seems to tackle the idea of faith in the modern world. Again, I'm trying to, to stay in a way that kind of is descriptive without spoiling anything, because I would want people to check it out for themselves. And and the idea of what faith is about, really, and, and, and you know, when you come to, like, ha- something that has to explain itself, then kind of defeats almost the purpose of of what faith is as a concept and how that uh, sort of equation um, or puzzle, if you will, presents itself to people living in today's society, and and what it does with the story so far is, I think, really beautiful. And uh, again, I, I've watched I think four episodes, um, and the, the the central character, um, you could say that the 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 titular character of the show. Um, I think is doing a wonderful job um of of carrying that on his shoulders. And and that really impressed me. So that would be my 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 recommendation of the week.
0: That is quite the recommendation. I feel like I'm gonna have to you watch it. You should check
2: it. it out, yeah. You should check it out. Let me know what you think. Okay.
0: What did you say it was on? Netflix. Netflix, okay. Netflix has so many good originals now. I just have to say that. Um, it, mine is not going to be quite as big a deal. I'm revisiting, um, the things that I love because they're so bad. And I really wanted to throw this in there and say, um, if you haven't seen a movie called, uh, Tammy and the T-Rex, it's really weird. It's Paul Walker's, uh, beginning of his career. And, uh, I think even has Denise Richards as the lead female character. Ooh,
1: does she play like nuclear physicist?
0: No, she plays a high school student. But... I knew you were oh, going to okay. go that there. Probably, that probably works better then. <laughs> but, uh, basically, it, it was just a really, really, really bad movie as far as like, um, having a, amazing plot or teaching you a life lesson or anything but it's hilarious because it's so bad um the the synopsis is that paul walker gets bullied at school and his brain gets put into the body of a t-rex and comes to life
1: that does sound <laughs> phenomenally bad yeah it sounds like a gem
0: <laughs> so and then tammy and the t-rex go on dates of course <laughs> so i highly recommend well, I am
1: going to recommend over on Netflix as well, The Irishman. Um, I've finally got a chance to watch Martin Scorsese's epic three and a half hour film, and I will say that it's excellent. Um, it, it's it's just so good. Um, I really en- enjoyed it. You know, I. My, my whole mom side of the family's Sicilian, so um, you know, mob movies are kind of our thing. And this one is just really interesting and it's really well done. And I think one of the things that I, I'm fascinated by is, you know, it, it does a very good job of showing the the mob influence uh in America, uh, especially through, you know, the fifties and the sixties, uh, and on into the seventies. So it it's just really good um the de aging doesn't quite always work, but it's never been enough for me to be totally pulled out. And Al Pacino's fantastic. Um, so is De Niro and and Pesci, and so all of them are great uh, in this film. And and um, it, it's definitely one that you got to sit down when you've got enough time to watch it. You know, I'm uh, I'm really glad that I found that the time to do it. Um, you know, it's it's nominated for best picture as as we speak here um for 2019 films but uh it's not the best picture of the year that i saw but i it's pretty dang good uh so it's definitely worth checking out um but yeah that's what i'm going to recommend to you and so nick um if uh you know anybody wants to you know catch up with you um where is the best place for people to be able to do that
2: on the book of faces Um, I can be found under my own name and this, it's the best way to contact me. Um, it's pretty much the only social media presence I have. Uh, I find that one platform is enough. I don't post much, but I am on there. Um, I follow all my friends and, uh, message, um, sometimes PM, you know, DM, you know, with people who I'm friends with. So I'm there. And and if people want to get a hold of me, that's probably the best, the best place to find me.
0: Nice. And uh, I also, you can find me on Instagram and Twitter at Bespin Bell. And I do a couple of other shows aside from the 602 Club. Uh, I'm also on a show once a month called Planet Leia on the Fanta Tracks Network, where myself and five other women from around the world talk about Star Wars and all our different perspectives, whether that be cosplay or um, being members of the 501st, all kinds of different things. And then I'm on a show with my good friend Teresa Delgado called Sabers and Spells on the Skywalking Through Neverland Network, Skynet and if we talk about anything geeky that we want. um, We're changing our format actually a little bit to be more conversational. We felt like we were getting too scripty, and so we want to get back to two girls having fun talking about things we love. So uh that should be bi-weekly. We've been on a bit of a hiatus, but we're getting back to it. And then lastly, I do a segment which uh, I've been a little behind on, but fashion in five on the Star Wars report, talking about men's and women's Star Wars fashion.
1: I got a fashion tip for you.
0: You can get a t-shirt for the
1: armor for the Mandalorian now for men and women over on Hot Topic. There are a couple of different styles and I ordered one and I can't wait for it to come in because I love that character. So there's your fashion tip. Thank you, Matt. (laughs) You're welcome. You're welcome. You can just like steal that and put it on <laughs> your fashion, February, in five. fashion in five. <laughs> um, you can find me on Twitter, Instagram, Letterboxd, and Vero under the name Matt MattRushing02. Um, I'm also here on the network when uh, Chris Jones and I do get a chance, we talk some Deep Space Nine over on the Orb. You can find me on the Nerd Party Network. I do two shows. One I do with Drea Kaufman. It is called Owl Post, and we talk about every single chapter of the Harry Potter series, one chapter at a time. We're in the middle of the Half-Blood Prince right now, which is really cool. Uh, So uh, hopefully you'll join us. You can also find me doing aggressive negotiations with my good pal John Mills, where we talk about all things Star Wars. And, well, there's so much to talk about with Star Wars these days, so I don't know when the show will ever end, which is great. Um, And last but not least, you can find me doing cinema stories with my good friend Courtney Where we talk about films through the lens of faith. And we are back for the year, and we actually just talked about the rise of Skywalker ourselves. So, but thank you so much
0: for joining us. And y'all come back now, you hear?